0: Yeah, Steve is. We're a, just waiting. Yeah, sorry, go sorry, ahead, go ahead Rob. No, no, you go ahead, Rob. No, I was just, <laughs> no, gonna I was just to say
1: we're just waiting for one more co host to see if he's going to appear. Exciting. Yes, that's
0: right. Oh, he's riveting. <laughs> <laughs> and he's ryan's boss <laughs> hence, hence the sarcasm
1: are, are you he's recording this is no get well out? rob probably is i'm not yet <laughs> that's right
0: are you everything. recording rob of course i record everything. of course just in, case, just in case it goes all the audio files go into a vault yeah
2: recording in progress
0: Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter.
2: Banter banter.
0: Oh, wow, look at Liz Liz stepping in. I know. (laughs) Wow. Very good. And we Uh,
2: had cowbell.
0: We did. We just had no Steve. Uh, mm-hmm. anyways, this is of course a podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot and joining me today, Mr. Cowbell himself, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello everyone. And also joining us, Miss Liz Malone.
2: I'm the one without the dangling parts.
0: <laughs> dangling participles wow nice wow you are mr literary today <laughs> You know, throwing out adverbs and adjectives and dang- dangling par- participles what's, that? what's going on i don't know i'm tired you been taking some uh, english classes a night class or something yeah no i don't have time for that yeah no i can't hear that yeah uh hell... next week
2: we'll be diagramming sentences
0: see there you go true Mm -hmm. how do you know about next week's show
2: uh you you know i have this Uh, thing this this calendar (laughs) (laughs) show planner
1: (laughs) and we have breaking news i've just been informed that steve will not be joining us
0: today oh okay well Uh, there you go so i guess we'll have to address the elephant in the room that uh steve barkley will not be joining us today so didn't i just do that yeah he just okay, broke so.
2: your breaking news. <laughs> there we go. He broke
1: the broken news.
0: Uh, is this a double, that's a double positive? Is that a negative? I don't even know. Tell me, tell me, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> what have we just know. done? Anyways, uh, how are you guys today?
2: Good. Thank you. How are you, Rob?
0: Uh, I'm. I'm good also.
2: No, because you always ask us, how are you guys doing? And I just thought, we never ask you. Hey, how are you, Rob?
0: Well, you know what? That is actually very nice of you, uh, Liz. I do appreciate that. Um, although I was, I was just about to criticize you for just coming up with good, because that's my big complaints whenever I ask you guys. Uh, I always get just a big dead space or a ducky from Steve, and that's it. So, <laughs> And yet you still ask it week after week after week. Well, listen, I figure, like, do some show prep. Do something. Get out there. Have a story. Do what annoyed you today? Anything? All right. Gonna, be right ready for next week. To, you, yeah, okay. <laughs> I have to replace you guys with Chat GPT. Oh, we should do a show with just Chat GPT and us. Actually, that's not a bad idea. We could just ask you questions. Yeah. You know what bugs me about that whole thing? Sorry, just <laughs> trying <some laughs> to quick time. Rob Rob But it doesn't like what the whole AI thing doesn't bother me. What bothers me is what they're using it to replace. Like, I, it's really stupid of me. Like, it's really stupid to me that you know we go after art and writing first with with AI. Like, why don't we let's replace something that needs replacing? Like, I don't know, politicians. like let's put jet like honestly like shows like the terminator and stuff like we it's we're supposed to be really afraid of ai listen bring on ai like president gpt that's what i say you know that that would fix climate change poverty social injustice it'd fix it overnight but no we go after art and writing that's fun we like doing that stuff like why would we replace why would we make AI that could, that could replace that doing that? We That's something that we enjoy doing. It's ridiculous. And so send all your comments to cowbell
1: at atbanter.com. <laughs> oh, that's right.
0: <laughs> Am I wrong? No.
1: We'll see what the audience has to say about that.
0: Well, there you go. Get her scathing, scathing email from chat GPT. <laughs> Uh All right, enough enough silliness. Uh, Hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Uh, What the heck are we doing today? Today, we are
1: speaking with the managing director of an organization right here in our own backyard in British Columbia, Canada. We are talking to Trish Kelly from Untapped Accessibility. Welcome, Trish. Hi. Glad you could join us.
3: I'm glad I could too. What a what a
1: way to end my day with all this banter, Wow. Our show should come with a disclaimer at the beginning of the invite. We're sorry. Yeah,
0: we should we should actually (laughs) Um listen, we are actually really, really happy that uh, you've joined us. Um, we are excited to talk to you. We love talking about accessibility around here, and especially with uh, people who are, are sort of actively working in that space right now because I feel like it is a, a bit of an exciting space that we're seeing some movement in finally, given that you know we have legislation and stuff coming down the down the road. But before we get to all that, maybe we could just start and maybe you could just give us a little bit of a a background on yourself and a background on a little bit of of your advocacy work in the past.
3: Just to start with my introduction, um, I work in a lot of EDI spaces, and so I'm definitely going to start with sharing my pronouns or she, her. Um, I'm logging in today from uh, downtown Squamish, which is where I live, and it's the unceded territory of the Squamish Nation. Um, And... uh, and um, I also wanted to share that I have been working in the field of accessibility for several years. Um, I don't myself identify at this point in my life as a person with a disability, although uh, I have health conditions that may uh, move me into that area or I, of identification in the future. Um, but uh most of them aren't terribly stigmatized at this point so uh my real draw to this work is that i was raised by my single mom who had several disabilities and uh, including she lost her hearing in her 40s and as a teenager i was helping her navigate the medical system and trying to get back to work and dealing with insurance companies and she never made it back into the workforce and um Things have changed. That was quite a while ago. It was about fifteen years ago. Technology has changed, to some degree. The attitudinal barriers that she experienced may have shifted a bit, um, but uh, I do this work in part to honor her memory um, as as the person that you know really witnessed what she was going through as a uh, as a you know indigenous woman in her forties trying to get back to work with multiple barriers. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, that's part of the reason I do the work. And when I, I, I think I saw a friend of mine did a post on LinkedIn the other day and said, what do you want to be remembered for in your life? And I think I, I want to be the person that my mom would have been if she had my, um, her heart and, and my privileges, um, as a person with generally pretty good health and, uh, and a lot of comfort in my life. So that's a little bit about me. Um. My work with uh, I think all of my social activism work going back to my early punk rock days as a riot girl uh, (laughs) through to my work with um, uh, food security initiatives, and uh, and then moving into the area of uh, disability inclusion, uh, it, a lot of it does go back to my mom. Like she really is an inspiration for me, and from my own lived experience too. Um, so I I feel very strongly that the it's it's part of admission on this planet for me to try to make it a better place uh, than I found it in, and that's very challenging. But that's uh, the kind of keener I am. So. Um, Yeah, so this this work feels like uh, really important stuff. And I think, as you said in the beginning, it feels like things are really starting to starting to shift. There's some real opportunities, and I just feel like 2023 could really be the year of accessibility and especially in B.C.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about untapped accessibility and Mm -hmm. just sort of its origins and how you got involved?
3: Yeah, sure. So it's it's a baby organization. So Untapped Accessibility launched in November of 2022. So it's only a couple months old. It's a social enterprise that uh, was launched by Open Door Group. Um, some folks in your audience might know Open Door Group as um one of the disability serving organizations in BC. So they run Work BC centers and the Opportunities Fund for persons with disabilities, as well as quite a few mental health um, support programs for people that are either looking for work or maybe are not going to be looking for work but need community connection. Um, so the, it was uh, their entrepreneurial spirit to uh, kind of give the green light for us to start a consulting agency that would help organizations that are now looking at a, you know, for many of them a September deadline to comply with the uh, Accessible BC regulations. Um, so we are a social enterprise and that we're owned by a nonprofit and the goal is to actually make money at this and the money would, uh, the profit that we make would go back into their nonprofit programs. Uh, and also we have set a target to um, have at least 50% of the hours completed in the agency be completed by people who self-identify as having a disability. So uh, I'm the managing director, and I have a a co-lead on the project, Stephen O'Keefe, who is our principal consultant. So we're the two staff positions right now, and then we have a roster of uh, associates, so uh, people who have different... Um, types of accessibility knowledge. So we uh, have folks that have a communications background or uh, an educational background, uh, people that have employment-specific knowledge about um, supporting employees with disabilities and autism in the workplace. Uh, And at this point, those folks are working with us as hourly contractors, basically. But uh, our hope is that we're going to get enough clients in the door for this, for untapped accessibility, that we're going to be able to. To offer um, permanent employment with benefits and a pension to um, those that want it. So recognizing not everybody is looking for um, a full time job, but to be able to build the organization enough that we can afford to do that is is the goal. Um, so uh, so we yeah we started in November um, and we've had. I think six clients so far. And it's been really interesting because one of those clients is an organization that actually has to do this work based on the legislation. They've got a September deadline of this year, Uh, but all the others are not. They're organizations, either nonprofits or small businesses or other organizations that have decided that accessibility is something that aligns with their values, uh, with other work that they're doing around uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, or they have other internal goals that mean it's time to do this work so that's super exciting um, that uh you know we hope we hope more of those big organizations need help too but uh it's great to see that this is just what's coming about in terms of where uh, organizations want to focus their their energy it's really uh it's really hopeful to see that
0: yeah that that is really interesting and that was actually one of my questions too because i was kind of curious about accessibility trends right now Mm. Um, in terms of like, are, are you seeing a lot of businesses sort of uh, taking this on because of the legislation or are you seeing them taking it on for, for other reasons? So it sounds like it's a little bit of a mixed bag.
3: Yeah, like um, I started working on this concept of something like untapped accessibility um, February of last year, just knowing that the legislation was coming. I thought, wow, there's going to be a lot of organizations that uh, they just don't understand enough about what accessibility means, um, or don't have the internal competency. And I bet you, you know, dollars to donuts, they're going to put this on their HR team or their EDI lead and think that they're, you know, that accessibility means disability employment, and and they're going to miss out on all of the other aspects of what goes into the legislation or um, addressing accessibility in your in your organization overall. So um, I, I think that. I, I think that what some of the trends I'm seeing in the response so far is that there's not a lot of under, um, awareness around the legislation. Um, and in terms of some organizations that I've talked to think it's a lot more detailed than it is. And, and they really do think it's about getting their employment practices um, to be more inclusive of people with disabilities, but they're not understanding the, the breadth of it. Um, or they just don't know about it at all. So uh, we're actually running a webinar on January 26th um, that is about trends and accessibility and covering the legislation and other areas as well, um, because I, I think there just needs to be more awareness. I, I think there's going to be quite a few organizations that will be pretty surprised by what they hear and um, immediately panicked about the deadline coming up in September for many of them. It's kind of like split. September 2023 or 2024, depending on their subsector. But yeah, I think there's going to be quite a few organizations that are surprised by that. But it is so exciting as an advocate to be able to say to any organization, hey, you better get working on this because, you know, First, it's the public sector, but we can expect it's going to roll out to every part of BC society. So private sector will be touched by this, uh, you know, eventually anyway. So why don't we get started now and align it with the values of your organization and what you're already doing so that you're not uh, at the mercy of whatever government tells you to do two years from now.
0: We've been saying this for as long as we've we've had the podcast, that the, the term accessibility it's it can be such a it, it can be both intimidating and nebulous, especially to to business owners who don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. So how do you when you when <laughs> when you either have a, a business come to you and, and ask you about it, how do you kind of break it down for them in a sense of like do you do you kind of have like a, a one minute accessibility elevator pitch that you can give them to sort of break it down really easily for them? at least initially, how do you sort of approach that?
3: Well, I think a lot of the organizations that I've worked with have some understanding of the employment side because uh, probably because of the work I've done before, uh, before I was an independent consultant, Uh, I worked at the president's group. So I was working with business leaders that had committed to improving their employment practices for people with disabilities. So I feel like there is some degree of awareness of the um, employment side in BC. And so thinking about often, often what I see are there HR people, if we have a webinar or a conversation, that's probably getting delegated to HR. And so uh, one of the key things I like to explain about accessibility is that uh, I kind of line it up with a a more plain language approach to explaining the difference between a social model and a medical model of disability. And so I say like in the past, um, there was definitely a focus in organizations on the idea that a disability was uh, a problem for an individual and that you were either supporting them with accommodations or telling them to go get themselves fixed in some way, or was that still that individual's responsibility to deal with it. But accessibility for uh, organizations is an opportunity to recognize that Um, It's not the person's individual condition that is disabling it's the processes, attitudes, uh, the policies, and the physical infrastructure of the organization itself that gets in the way. And the good news of that is that a lot of that is in the control of the organization I'm talking to, they have a lot of room to remove the barriers because they're the ones that write the policies, they design their buildings, um, they decide who gets an interview and all of those kind of pieces. So accessibility is the work that we do to remove the barriers that are in the control of the organization or the institution or the system.
0: You know, I also think that a lot of a lot of companies will sort of look at the surface of something like accessibility and go, okay, well, we need, you know, we need to get them a screen reader. We need to get them, whatever, you know, a larger monitor with, with screen magnification software for this, for this employee or that employee. But it does really go farther than that because the barriers that we're talking about, they can very well be attitudinal barriers, you know, among the staff or even mm-hmm. even among um, policies within that company. Are, are, are companies sort of slower to sort of adapt those um, than they are in terms of like just buying equipment?
3: Well, I think that's why I'm excited about the, the way that the BC accessibility regulations for the public sector have been laid out is because they... Um, it's not going to work if they keep it just in HR. And I think HR is the department in a large organization that has that experience with dealing with accommodation uh, or back to work programs and those kind of pieces, like the more medicalized and individualized uh, approach to looking at disability in their organization. But if they give it to HR and HR is told to just go away and do it, it, they won't, they won't be successful. They won't uh, actually deliver on the requirements for the legislation so it it it's this really great opportunity to say let's talk about the kinds of barriers that might be encountered by, you know, and we're not just talking about your employees, I think that's another key aspect of what they need to understand that we're talking about how they deliver service, how they develop products, um, all, all these customer or public facing pieces to their business as well. And that means that we need the head of IT to be understanding what is going on and what accessibility is, we need whoever is in charge of facilities, we need all these departments, these operational departments and comms um, that are outside of HR to be part of a team that will make sure that the accessibility overall is being um, actually investigated and addressed in the organization. And I think that that will bring in people that are, you know, in some cases, have a very different focus than the HR team is used to. Um, And so we can you know, uh, indoctrinate them right from the beginning about a social model of disability and the different types of barriers. And we can really frankly as well highlight the attitudinal barriers that are still, um, you know, I think some of the most difficult ones to address in an organization because it is, again, it's the individual and what they don't say out loud that can be really damaging to all of the work that you're putting into your plans.
2: This sort of reminds me of a conversation that we had um, when we did the episode about the accessible um, insulin pumps and that attitude where they would kind of march the marketing people out to kind of give this messaging and to to collect this information about what would what would be accessible when it was really the design engineers who needed to be in the room to hear about because they were the ones who were like oh well if i just move this to this and you know to make something um something usable so i the, so the reason why i'm bringing that up is that it just sort of reminded me of of that from what you were saying. So so I guess what, what sort of tactics are you able to implement so that you can get all of those correct personnel people uh, in the room so that you're able to affect change?
3: Hmm. Well, I think that part of it is there has to be someone that has already been assigned to look at this, um, at the compliance issue and um, highlighting to them what aspects of complying with the legislation is going to require them to go really outside of their area of influence in the organization. Um, And so when I think about, you know, if if it is assigned to someone in HR or it's a a project coordinator, um, I think it's pretty easy to start to highlight those those other aspects and, and also bring forward the, you know, the requirements in the legislation, meaning that, Unlike in, let's say, Ontario or federally where you're submitting your finalized accessibility plan uh, privately to government, this is, it has to be publicly available, which means you have to tell your comms team. You can't be HR doing something that's going to be uh publicly available on your website and not have comms look at it. And if comms is going to look at it, they need to understand what it means to create an accessible document, uh, to tweet about the report being published uh, in an accessible way. So it starts to draw in uh, folks that would be really upset if they weren't brought along early in the process. And I think this then there's also the issue of looking at uh, there's no requirements in the legislation that they spend any particular amount of money on addressing the barriers, but uh, you know it won't take long for us to start uh, digging up that whatever their budget process is, they're going to have to dig in early and make sure that they are including anyone that gets to make decisions on budgets or has to draft a budget for their department so that they can be thinking about it for the next budget cycle so i think there's some practical ways like understanding the rhythm of business and those internal uh communication uh issues that can come up or uh, touchy touchy points for organizations that um i guess i understand enough about them that i would highlight those right away if i get someone and get to have a conversation with them but i it's, it's exciting to me because i think that We've seen this with all aspects of diversity and inclusion work. That when an organization gets keen on addressing an issue like accessibility, probably one of the first things they decide they want to do is uh, offer training for all of their staff. They're just going to do some basic, you know, 101 on this topic. Um, But when we approach it with the the one-two punch of legislation, um, I think that. We have to get all of those key decision makers those people that would be part of a project team in the same room and and give them a briefing on the legislation and give them some education about what is accessibility and uh, what are their responsibilities to you know all of their stakeholders Uh, so instead of starting with let's do something general voluntary for all staff instead we say we have to say let's get those people in the room and help them understand how this is going to you know, affect their budget process, how it's going to affect uh, what they publicly state on their website, uh, their infrastructure and all those pieces.
1: I haven't been following the progress of the Accessible BCE Act. Mm -hmm. I've reached out to a colleague about providing some information for a newsletter I'm putting together, so I'm waiting to hear back from him. But currently, what will an employer have to do? Is there a minimum standard that you're going to have to follow by the deadline? And who's looking after enforcement? Is there Mm -hmm. enforcement?
3: Yeah, so it's um, the approach that BC has taken, and I am a policy nerd, so stop (laughs) me if I'm going too deeply into the nerdery of this, but um, the Accessible BC Act is um, enabling legislation what it basically does is it gives a green light to say we are going to develop more specific standards in these areas and in these ways. So you'll see in the Accessible BC Act, it names different um, standards that will come, including employment, service delivery, Uh, I believe education is in their communication uh, built environment. There's a, there's quite a list. And then it says we can do more than that if we want to eventually. Um, So the, the enabling legislation is the green light to say, okay, we are giving notice that we are going to start working on uh, either regulations or standards for all of those areas. In addition to that, because the business community, and I, I think other members of the community said you better model this well and don't leave yourselves out of it, government. Um, Some of the first steps that have been taken are from the government itself. Um, So they have already published an accessibility plan. They created a a provincial accessibility committee and, um, and then they created some requirements for the public sector. So the public sector is very much attached to the government. So they have more jurisdiction there. And so they said, okay, just like we're doing, all of the public sectors, the universities, libraries, municipalities, uh, police boards, um, uh, a couple other areas and crown agencies all have to do the same thing. So they need to create a accessibility committee, a plan and a public feedback mechanism And that all has to be done uh, for most of them by September 1st of 2023. And then the crown agencies and tribunals and public health authorities are all in 2024. Um, So that's a lot of work. When you start to dig into it, when you realize how complex it is, that's a lot of work. But the detail in the legislation is very, very thin. And so the government says they developed it to be flexible. Um, But in terms of employment and actual requirements for employers, those will come under an employment standard, which they just announced who will who is on the committee that the technical committee that will develop that standard that announcement just went out at the beginning of December 2022. So I imagine although they, you know, aren't completely specific about the timeline that it will take probably a year to 18 months for them to develop the standard and then similar to what's happened in other jurisdictions i imagine it will be they'll start with Um, the public sector, then big private sector employers, and it will kind of roll out until it touches all but the smallest micro business in BC. That's my expectation. So employment and uh, service delivery are the first two where they've already got a technical committee up and running. And those committees should start meeting this uh, this spring to develop the standards that uh, will uh, eventually touch all employers.
1: Right. So we're still in the in the development of standard stage.
3: Yeah. Um, but I, and I'm not sure exactly what that will look like on a a legal front.
1: It
3: it could be that it's edits to the employment standards act, um, which would be really exciting.
1: Um,
3: so we'll see where, we'll see where that goes.
1: Do you think we are going to run into issues interprovincially because Alberta is is starting one Saskatchewan's talking about an accessible act ontario has the oda you know is each province going to be you know doing their own thing coming up with their own regulations their own standards and then of course we've got the accessible canada act you know how confusing is this going to be
3: well i again my deep love of policy i feel (laughs) like i'm not confused by it but um I think it's important to know that uh, what's happening federally only touches federally regulated employers. So that only touches airlines, um, via rail, you know, these, these, uh, let's, let's say TELUS or other. Yeah. So, so that only applies to them, but the good news is they've, they're ahead in terms of developing their standards for employment and built environment and other areas Um, and the Uh, Ontario um, legislation didn't go well, and maybe some of your listeners from Ontario will be laughing when I say that (laughs) so gently. Um, But there was a lot of opportunities to learn from their mistakes, is what I understand. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that the approach that BC has taken is learn from the mistakes there. Uh, They've actually set up. an agreement with uh, accessibility standards canada which is affiliated with the federal government to see if there's a way to harmonize the standards so can you know making sure that there isn't any conflict with what is being developed federally and Yay. yeah and the other provinces <laughs> that have work underway i keep seeing these announcements where it's like okay the, the government of blah blah province is also going to do the same thing right um so that that should that should help yeah We'll see. But you I think you had also asked about like, what's the what are the teeth or who's doing enforcement? And I think that's the part that I'm most concerned about. I I think that's the biggest issue with the B.C. legislation. It's cool that it'll all be available publicly available, which means that we could (laughs) roast companies if they don't do well. Uh, But that's a huge burden to put on uh, advocates in the disability community to continue to have to, you know, Read a plan for one of each of the 750 public sector organizations, and then give feedback on it. You know, like um, it's there are isn't a strong stick in terms of the punitive side of the legislation.
1: Yeah, and there isn't federally either. And and the only complaints avenue people have had is the human rights. Uh, complaints and you know they're backlog years so there needs to be a complaint mechanism in place there needs to be an enforcement there needs to be follow-up investigations like there needs to be a whole department just for that
3: Mm -hmm. yeah that would be the, the better thing to do. I'm a
1: pessimist. Can you tell? He's <laughs> a pessimist of the group.
0: No, and you know, I have to tell you, we, we've been waiting to have a policy nerd on for a long time. This is, this is great because we've needed somebody to step us through some of this stuff. Because as laymen, you know, we took a look at... Um, the, the act when it came out, we took a look at the plan, and it is—it seems counterintuitive in places to laymen. Like, uh, you know, the the fact that you know we have this deadline in place of next September, yet enforcement and compliance doesn't doesn't start until year four. So it's like you're you're telling people that they have to, and they're you know they're you're we're telling them that they have to create um accessibility committees but we haven't even released the standards for accessibility yet so it's in in ways when when we look at it we're confused it's like well this Hmm. i don't know this doesn't make sense do you get sort of get the same response from from different companies when you're talking to them about about this and about the legislation
3: that's a really good question so at this point the legislation like the actual accessible bc regulation for the public sector That only applies to the public sector, and there is nothing in there in terms of fines or uh, enforcement. Um, That section is currently blank. But I, what I don't understand is exactly how much influence the BC government has over its own public sector. You know, like um, those are organizations that are basically part of government. So maybe they don't need a really big stick because when they say do this, that's enough. Um, Versus if it was the private sector where it would need to really highlight fines and and repercussions for not delivering on time. because I'm surprised. I'm surprised by the sense of urgency that I hear from even small organizations. Like I've heard from so many libraries that are really worried about this. They really want to do the right thing. They want to do it well. Um, but uh, it's they're not saying we're afraid of being fined. Um, and so that's probably a testament to how awesome libraries are. But I also think that there is part of it, having never been part of the public sector, that I don't understand about the the influence that legislation has over them um, versus working with, uh, you know, with businesses where we would have to be really, I think, highlighting the reputational risk is is what I would be highlighting with them. Like, yes, it's true. There isn't like a $150,000 fine listed for you if you don't have this by September 1st. But if you publish a really weak accessibility plan, Um, that's, uh, you know, it's the reputational risk that you're facing is not worth it. Let's get this done properly.
0: Right. And so it almost goes back to like presenting it like a business case to, to companies, right. Saying that, listen, it, yes, you know, if you, not only is it, you know, legislated and it's the right thing to do, but also, like, look if you, if you go through this, you're looking at you know improving your business or improving your reputation or improving your customer base because you've built you know you have this accessibility plan that's going to attract a, a different subset of customers that maybe you've never had before. Does that ever factor into to it when you when you talk to different um, businesses about accessibility?
3: Before the legislation, that was one of the main tools that we had. Um, but this is another area of policy. But if I can tell this little story, I used to work in the area of food security and uh, composting and diverting food waste was a really uh, hot topic. Uh, in fact, I was known as the compost lady in Metro Vancouver by, by some people. It was not a very good nickname, but um, I remember <laughs> sitting at a table at a conference and I had like somebody from Walmart, their sustainability guy was sitting beside me and he said, I can only do so much of this work of, you know, trying to reduce our ecological footprint um, on my own when it's voluntary. If you legislate it, if you tell me I have to do this, if this is the, you know, like the baseline for everybody, I, I have to do it because my competitors have to do it as well. And Suddenly, it's not a moral choice for me anymore. It's just, um, it, it's just the ceiling. Uh, sorry, the floor of wh- how we do business. Um, and that really stuck with me. I think that the opportunity with legislation is that we don't have to rely on a business case and we can just say, you have to, <laughs> like there's no longer the selling you. Of course, there's you want people to be able to find their, what's in it for them and like, how does this resonate or how do they personalize it so that they can uh, really care about the work. But I'm really excited about the opportunity to move away from ha- having to make a business case because I, um, it's feedback that I've received from people in the disability community as well, is that there, we shouldn't be talking about a business case because there's no business case for excluding people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. If you dig into it and you and you try to unearth what that assumed business case is for uh, a business owner to exclude 20% of their potential customers, 20% of the talent pool, it, there's nothing there, um, it's, it's all, based on inaccurate um, stereotypes and assumptions. Um, There's no business case aside from their ignorance. And so I find it really, uh, I really don't wanna have to make a business case anymore. I I don't wanna try to convince people that they're going to have employees that stay longer because they feel limited in their choices and therefore, haha, it's better retention rates for you. I want them to understand that this is where the world is moving now, that we are beyond the point where it's okay to exclude someone from applying to your organization or buying your product uh, based on a poor design process on your part. Like that, we just don't accept that anymore. We're moving on.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, time for carrots are over, it's time for the stick
3: but I would love to have a CEO try to explain to me their business case for excluding people with disabilities. Like, talk, walk me through that. Walk me through how that's actually acceptable. I think as soon as they need to try to say that out loud, why it's a better business model to exclude people with disabilities, they'll stop talking because right. it, is, it, it is so horrible if they do say it out loud, you know, like yeah, it's yeah. so... It, Especially in you know, all of the reckonings that we've had in Canadian and, and North American society in the past couple of years, the new, conver- you know, new level of conversation about racial equity and reconciliation, we, we are beyond a point where companies can quietly hold on to discretionary power that allows them to exclude people uh, based on their own preference for wanting to be with people that they think are like they are.
0: Yeah. Well, and, you know, and we've said on this on the show before um, that, you know, there's you're right. There has been a lot of reckonings uh, in society over the past few years. But I would argue that the disability community, we're still we're still waiting for that big reckoning in in a way. (laughs) It's it's, you know, as Ryan, Ryan always says, he's ready to he's ready to storm the legislature and get some of this get some of these changes really done and get some of these, the, the, the social impact um, around uh, disability justice is, I think the reckoning is still coming.
3: Yeah, I agree. It's it, there, There's a big gap, a, a glaring omission in all of the equity, diversity, inclusion work that has been happening in the past couple of years in the corporate world. There is still such a neglect of um, understanding and appreciating how much ableism is uh, getting in the way of organizations and justice.
0: Yep.
1: So we need to burn them all down? <laughs>
3: I don't know. I mean, this is, you know, I think a lot about systems change work, like I I volunteer with the Vancouver Foundation and, you know, review grant applications from organizations that are uh, looking to come up with an initiative that is going to create, you know, a a cataclysmic, can I say Mm -hmm. that word properly, um, change in our society and what what breaks open an issue and really causes change. Uh, there's so many approaches to raising awareness, like I think we do with disability inclusion and trying to go with the rights-based approach with legislation, um, but th- there's this other piece which is uh, attitudes can shift on a dime. Like something significant happens and there's a giant shift and so I think that I'm just always on the lookout for what is that going to be around accessibility. I think we have to be working on all fronts. We need to be doing all of those things simultaneously. But I think you know about the murder of George Floyd and how mm-hmm. many uh, Black people in the US and Canada and how many people of color and Indigenous people have been uh, murdered by police across North America. And yet it was that particular moment that created such such a shift, yeah. yeah so what what is that going to be and it's it's not that there hasn't been a great degree of harm and injustice and uh violence against the disability community so i'm not sure what it's going to be
1: yeah fine i'll do it yeah. i'll <laughs> rally the troops no one else is stepping up so geez <laughs> well and we've had that conversation you know the dis- disability group is the largest minority group in the world. And yet we all are willing to just kind of sit back. And I'm not saying we're all sitting back because there's a lot of people doing really great work and really influential work. But you're right. There needs to be some sort of revolt, revolution, community gathering. Um, We just somehow need to get on the same page with the same voice, a singular voice and just shout from the rooftops. I will not be excluded anymore.
3: It uh, makes me think uh, as an ally, I am I'm a member of the LGBTQ2S plus community. I'm a queer woman and I came of age at a time when it was the uh, we'd say gay and lesbian community. It was two letters, a a G and an L right. and uh, and the two did not mix and there was no visibility for trans people like gay men wouldn't hang out with me because I was a woman and they said women are gross or girls are gross and you know like I remember the first time I had uh, a friend who was a gay man and was like wow this guy is so cool and he lives on the east side of Vancouver not in the west end like the um the bridges are forming and in my lifetime because I'm in my mid-40s now like I have seen the growth of that community, um, there's, there always was allyship and there always was at least some interest in, in joining together to, uh, support each other and resist, um, the oppression that we are facing, but it's just at a different degree now in terms of, as you're Mm -hmm. saying, like being organized, being intentional about examining internal, uh, conflict and examining the the biases that we had against each other you know um so i i think i i hope that for the disability community that there's some you know with without having to sound as one voice in a way that excludes some of the members of the community that there can Mm -hmm. be stronger alliances um and stronger advocacy together um just for a mutual support as well yep. as hopefully from an advocacy perspective.
0: Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I mean it is, I, I think that there's, there's probably at the end of the day, there's probably a multitude of different reasons behind this, but yeah, it, you know, it's just, it's, it's waiting for that spark.
2: It's going to take money. <laughs> I always say that it takes, it's going to take money and as a member, obviously, of the disability community, I'm not I'm I'm a part of this group and and I want to see big change happen, but I'm also very realistic that uh you know this is a the the this type of change that we need, that we deserve comes at a price to organizations, to the government, etc. to you know, potentially to consumers, uh And while, on the other hand, presenting an enormous opportunity. Um, But where you talk about other social changes, it's much more a change of policy, a change of mindset, a change of attitudes, whereas there isn't the same cost factor um, with those other movements. And that's what's always going to differentiate Mm. us, in my opinion.
0: I mean, part of this... Really is just humans are dumb. Like we're, we're, (laughs) we're, 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 are are you reading my
2: notes?
0: (laughs) (laughs) We we are. It makes no sense because you're. You know, you you mentioned at the beginning, none of us. uh, The the disability community is the only community that anybody can enter into at any point in their life. We're all headed there, probably. Like, eventually, like you're going to lose vision, or we're going to lose our hearing, or or whatever. Um, yet, you know, able-bodied people, like we just, we, we want to just bury our heads in the sand and not think about it. And I don't know if that's because for some people, it scares them the idea of, oh, you know, I could, I could, I could lose my vision at some point. I just don't even want to think about it, but it seems so ridiculous to me that this is the one area that we, we don't address that we don't fix that we don't, because we're all, we're all probably going to be in that community eventually. So what the heck?
3: Yeah, it, there's a lot of parallels to how humanity is dealing with fossil fuels and our climate crisis. Right. Humans, uh, our downfall is our desire for shortcuts and our willingness to. Um, Value what's immediately in front of us and ignore the, the costs that we're we're paying. But I think, just like the exclusion of people with disabilities, we also you know it, it, there's a lot of similarities to the way that we're um, we're deciding that it's less expensive to exclude people and not design our systems and our our society in a way that includes everyone. Um, but that is a really uh, it's a really harsh choice that uh, is costing us as well. We're just it, the, the costs are not as visible, I, I think, and so it's very similar to what, the, what we're paying for now with um, climate change in terms of the the decades and decades of fossil fuel yeah. consumption. Um, it costs yeah. something. It does, and and we are paying for the exclusion of a large chunk of our population and the the gifts and and the um contributions that they could be making and uh and no one's quantified that but when you think about it on the environmental side we're now hearing about the environmental services that you know i live next to the squamish estuary someone's trying to put a price on all the value of services that the estuary offers to sequestering carbon and all these other pieces like we're still putting trying to put it into a capitalist framework to say it's valuable to not ruin that beautiful mm. piece of land. Um, and I, I think it's hard. That's where the business case comes back to me for uh, the business case for disability inclusion in our society or accessibility is that, again, we're trying to keep it in a, a capitalist framing to say, like, it's mm. it's worth it to take the extra effort. But that's, we, we built shortcuts and exclusion into the way that we design our society. Um, it's not like, uh, yeah. That's that's the problem.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: we are dumb.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Just okay. makes me want to like walk my dogs. True. And, uh... <laughs>
0: exactly. See, I'm telling you guys, Chat. <laughs> let's put Chat GPT in charge. Like that's he. The, it would fix all of this problem
3: overnight.
0: Oh, well, Good catch. No, that's that's true. Actually, <laughs> you're right. The
3: problem with with all of the yeah, ai right. is that it was designed by humans and so i wouldn't be surprised that's if right. chat gp has been given pronouns <laughs> <A> gender
0: <laughs> oh my gosh i can't believe i did that
1: wow you're right that's okay so i'm I... working on yeah. a pronoun show coming up hopefully for february so well,
3: that's a, but that's why i'm i'm hesitant like aside from really liking the matrix movies which <laughs> makes me shy about ai i think the other piece is that i know that you know whenever companies start using ai based programs for let's say sorting through resumes hmm. uh, it harms all of us who oh, um, no. are, are not fitting into their you know the, the biased the criteria yeah, yeah and the biased criteria of the people that develop the software so i wouldn't make it through most of those the ai based um resume review software programs either because I have an unconventional background and uh, the theater arts diploma from Douglas College doesn't really qualify me to do this work so I'd get turfed in the first round of review oh,
0: yeah.
3: so Jeez. yeah I'm I'm careful about AI
0: I hadn't even thought of, of that yeah so right. done with chat GPT yeah, I'm with I'm with you <laughs> I would I, I have an English degree I wouldn't get through the first round either Wow wow. Lots of food for thought. No kidding. Yeah. Uh,
3: can I just share I I wear a a Fitbit. Um Mm-hmm. and it tells me when I go into cardio and it just congratulated me for 30 minutes of exercise. So I guess I've been kind of wound up in this conversation.
1: I'm literally sitting down talking
3: about my advocacy
1: work. You talk with your it. hands a lot, do you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Waving I guess your so. arms. Yeah, and... yeah, listen, yeah my... I,
3: I did learn ASL when my mom lost her hearing. So <laughs> yeah.
0: I have
1: kind of a
3: hand accent where I gesture sure. a lot. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's funny. Well, this is good. Hey, listen, my blood pressure is up, too, I think. <laughs> Listen. We, we thank you so much for um, coming on and talking with us. This has been really enlightening, and it—I I, I love that you were kind of able to to frame some of the uh, accessible BC Act for us because we, well, honestly, like we have been looking to to have somebody on that can do that for us. So I really appreciate that.
3: It's a really great part of not working for government that I can <laughs> talk to you that way. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm also working with Disability Alliance of BC, uh, who received some funding to help the public sector reach compliance. And I've been I just uh, today sent a final draft of a guide to writing your first accessibility plan um, to my proofreaders. uh, And that will be coming out in February through Disability Alliance of BC. So um, it's not quite as frank as what I have said to you today because I had to put a lot if you might consider or perhaps you right. might think <laughs> if you would like to you could because the legislation is so thin on details that uh, there is a lot of room for interpretation but um but that will be available and it it should be interesting um for anyone to read I think because yeah. I love the policy yep.
0: Yeah. I love it. Actually. And just before we let you go though, I just, I just want one hot take. Cause I'm curious to know what your, what your opinion on this is. Cause I have my own, but what do you think of in the provinces accessibility plan, them not releasing any sort of timelines?
3: <laughs> yeah, I was uh, referencing their plan, looking for somewhere to reference it in the guide as I was writing it. And I noticed that there are no, there are no timelines. Um, it's a, it's not the strongest modeling to the rest of the organizations that have to comply with that uh, legislation. I mean, they have to update the plan every three years, but yeah, that's not a smart goal.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I I totally agree. (laughs) I mean, I, you know, and I feel like part of them looked at, at Ontario and because let's, let's be honest, Ontario has no hope of, of meeting that their 2025 um, accessibility, you know, goal, like no chance. So I don't know if they looked at that and went, well, let's not paint ourselves into a corner and let's just not have timelines. I don't know, but I, I agree. Like, I don't, I don't understand what the point of having this big plan. And then you're not, you're not actually placing any sort of, of goals on it. It, it makes no sense to me.
3: It's one of my first, uh, takeaways from writing policy for companies was that when you Get them to put a timeline and make a firm commitment, and then it has to be publicly available. That gives you the tension to get the work done. It's the exactly so, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, even if the government is just so convinced that you know they need to model this, and therefore they know that they're going to get through all of these actions, it's you know they're so confident of their ability to deliver that they don't need to put a timeline, and it just makes the document snappier if they don't Um, it's not (laughs) it's not modeling that for the 750 organizations that don't have their depth of knowledge around accessibility that are you know not able to use their plan as a a proper template to create their own so uh, it's definitely something i'll be recommending because you need the positive tension and you need you can't work it into your uh, internal planning processes as an organization unless you have a timeline and yeah. uh, someone who's responsible for delivering as well
1: exactly
3: yeah so yeah we'll we'll be suggesting smart goals or even better
0: bc canada's most accessible province at some point <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Trish, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much again. Um, before we let you go, um, where can people learn more about untapped accessibility? And feel free to to plug anything else. How can people contact you?
3: Yeah. Socials, uh, anything. I, I spend too much time on LinkedIn. So if you look for me on LinkedIn, I try to stay on top of all of the new reports and any you know, promising practices that are coming out around accessibility or disability inclusion. So feel free to follow me there. Uh, I don't spend much time on other social media channels, so sorry, I know that's the most boring one. Um, You could also go to our website, uh, untappedaccessibility.ca, and we have a subscribe to untapped accessibility newsletter uh, if you'd like to get, you know, a monthly, Uh, something from us with some updates on what's going on in the world of accessibility. Uh, Our website is of course accessible. Um, And uh, yeah, we have Untapped Accessibility also has uh, a Twitter account. It'd be really nice if someone followed us there, or <laughs> please don't follow us on Instagram. I haven't done anything with that channel yet.
0: <laughs> you, but, you sound uh, like yeah. a lot like us. Yep. <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay. <laughs> like, oh, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, yep. Yeah. But uh, so our website, untappedaccessibility.ca and, uh, and me on LinkedIn, if you care about that sort of thing.
0: Wonderful. Okay, Trish, uh, thanks again yeah, thank and'll uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon and and yeah, um, maybe we'll have you on again if we if we if we want to dive in with something about the the act, uh, we would love to be able to have you on and, and talk intelligently about it. Why don't yeah, we bring sure. you back in September when this deadline is supposed to be up? <laughs> Ooh, I
3: like that. Yeah. Uh, make sure you get me before the end of September, because I imagine I'm going to be really tired from <laughs> <laughs> writing accessibility plans in two weeks for an That's organization high. or somehow, <laughs> yeah. Uh, creating an accessibility committee for them in 14 days oh, or less gosh. or something. Yeah. <laughs> <No> <laughs> we'll kidding. see how that goes.
0: Wow. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs>
3: yeah, I, I did think about, like, could we create an accessibility committee and charge it as a service where like companies pay to consult and then we have people with different types of disability and different types of understanding of accessibility all together and it's kind of like an a committee for hire
0: Um, yeah someone did that in
3: ontario i saw it on their website yeah
0: that's a great idea
3: like yeah you don't even have to find your own pay us (laughs) ten (laughs) thousand and we will bring a group together for two hours, and you can yeah. ask them whatever you want, and they'll speak off and tell you about their opinions about about organizations like yours, <laughs> and we'll pay them lots of money. <laughs> That's
0: brilliant! I love it. Yeah. Hey, yeah, can you put it? We'll even bring in donuts.
3: Yes. For the meeting. Well, yeah, that we'd we'd charge that back to the client though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it! I love it. Well, this right. we'll, we'll uh, yeah we'll we'll be board members. Ryan, yeah, yeah. There you go. Sure, absolutely, hundred (laughs) percent.
3: Super. (laughs) All right. Have a good night, everybody. take
0: take care. care. Good to meet
3: you, Trish. Good to meet you too. Bye. Uh, Bye. -bye. You just, you guys
2: just want the donuts. It's
0: true. Yeah. I know. The dough and the donuts.
2: So so transparent.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, you got to do it. You got to do. (laughs) I'm too tough. Can't pay for my own donuts.
2: You're not going to pay for your own previously frozen donuts. <laughs> That's
0: right. Here I we like, go, man. You're like, yeah, the you're, donut I, rant. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, I won't go on the donut rant. Yeah, she's got a memory like a steel trap, eh? <laughs> she, she really does. <laughs> that was amazing. Was I love absolutely yeah, I, I loved hearing her be able to break down the, the, the act and and some of her like real opinions about it. Um, yeah. It, no, she it, she
2: is so passionate and just so well spoken, and really frames all of yeah. those points so beautifully. Uh, so kudos to her. I mean, I, th- yeah. I think that what she's doing is fantastic. No, but I, I was just going to say, but as beautifully as she is able to articulate uh, the issues and the policies and whatnot, gosh, it, Canada's still a mess i yeah. i mean i know she know she knows it inside now but from someone from the outside not a non-canadian i'm like oh my god there's the federal one there's the canadian alleged canadian yeah. one the bc one and whatever else they're going to do in saskatchewan i i mean it's just to me i'm like oh my god my it made my head spin a little bit
0: well and ryan's then that's you know why ryan brought up that point which i i thought was was valid um because to laymen, it, it is very confusing. and I'm sure to a lot of business owners, um, it's it's going to be intimidating and it is going to be confusing um, to to know, you know where where one ends and the other one begins. Um, but I mean,' I'm, I'm sure doesn't it work similar down there though, Liz? because I mean, you you have federal legislation, but then doesn't each state have its own, Nope. Accessibility? Really? No, accessibility. It's all ADA. Nope.
2: It's all ADA.
0: Now, Interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, and the
2: ADA applies to everyone, not just
0: public federal or
2: federal organizations. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see if uh, we fare any better with that because I don't know. Maybe that is the way to go. Maybe that's why we did it differently because we thought maybe the ADA had some shortcomings that, or maybe we just like doing things more
1: complicated. I don't know. Well, I think the saving grace is Trish said it sounds like you know the provinces are talking to each other and it sounds like there will be some symmetry or consistency once the standards are developed I, because it I makes have... no sense for someone from bc who may move to another province or even is just traveling and you're not going to know what the accessible alberta act says or what your rights are, are right and,
2: and, and might it also drive businesses to certain areas if certain yeah. regulations wow. are strict in one place and not as strict in another, or what if you're doing business in multiple provinces? I I mean, what, how does, how is that managed? Um, It's just, you know, and I I know it's like putting the cart before the horse because I mean, it's better to have something than nothing, but I I think that it long-term, it could have some strategic complications.
0: Maybe, you know, where I'm a little bit pessimistic is when it comes down to enforcement. Um, oh, that's sure. where I think we're going to drop the ball, and without without proper enforcement, none of this really it can really move the needle very far. I think because yeah, I mean you're always going to have uh, businesses that that want to do the right thing, or you know being being in that space is sort of on brand for them. But there's also gonna be a lot of companies that are just gonna be like, well, if there's no enforcement. If I don't have to do this, if I don't have to worry about getting fined or whatever, then pff, whatever.
2: Or if um, the fines are too small, then it might be less worth... expensive for them to pay the fines than it is exactly. to make the changes.
0: Yes. Right, exactly. Right. And that's my fear. Um, is that that our enforcement mechanism just isn't gonna isn't gonna cut it. Um, so hopefully that's you know, I'm wrong about that. Well,
1: and I yeah. you know, that that's what gets me all wrangled up when i watch the news at night you know you'll hear about i don't know even just some drunk driver who you know crashes his car into a pole or you know r- hits another vehicle and, and kills somebody you know the ramifications for that are his insurance premiums went up right like if you want to set precedence you take his car you impound it you crush it boom done you're yeah. now out your sixty thousand dollar vehicle right you you have penalties and yeah. our our society is so soft like you said you know enforcement has to be tough yeah. and it has to be it has to be there
0: yeah it really does i mean we'll see but i mean again you know we have to wait till year 4 of the <laughs> yeah. of the great piece accessibility <laughs> oh God, plan before, well, they, I mean, before we know even what that's going to look like see that well
1: makes... the unfortunate part too is that what happens if a new government comes in well yeah that's right. a very good point too you know like we have elections every four years like most people and a new government comes in and they don't like the wording or they want to change something like it's just so frustrating well do you think yeah.
2: that four-year window that they built into the plan is sort of to punt it maybe. to the next administration
0: maybe Yeah. yeah it's we don't uh-huh. know. We'll have to wait
1: and see, and, and monitor its progress. You yeah. know, hopefully they've learned from the Ontario Disability Act, and you know, hopefully yeah. you know the conversation will keep blooming as it has over the last couple of years. You know, the pandemic right. really brought accessibility and inclusion forward um, for the disability community. There were so many people who can now work from home because their employer mm-hmm. said they couldn't do that before; it just wasn't possible, and you know, now they're doing it. So, you know, a lot of eyes were opened when COVID hit. And I think you know, they're staying open. The conversations are being had.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do feel a little bit optimistic, especially, you know, Trish saying, you know, telling us about, you know, how, you know, even just a few months old, um, you know, they're, they've already seen, you know, many clients and, and a real uptick in, in people who are interested in accessibility. So that at least is heartening, I think. Um, I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that we're going to have a spark that's going to change everything and that's going to really move the needle on disability rights. But, you know, maybe we, it is just going to be a, a slog and we just have to take our little victories and, and just keep fighting the good fight and, and hoping that Chat GPT will come save us. <laughs> we need everyone who is
1: mobile, who has a disability to all gather on one of the coasts of Canada, east, west, north, doesn't matter. And we all just migrate to the parliament buildings in Ottawa. All 20 million of us or how, however many of us there are, we just need, we need we need a people convoy. Look like what the trucking convoy did in Ontario. There you go. We need a disability convoy. Yeah. Let's make some noise.
0: See, I thought you were going to say they you should meet at your house. <laughs> <laughs> just just meet, <laughs> meet at your place, and then we're going to walk. <laughs> walk? No. To Okay. Wheel.
1: I'm all over that.
0: Just, I mean, that would get some news. That'd be in the news. Trust me. 10,000 people showed up in Coquitlam. Yes. And just started walking.
1: It wheeling. Went, that's right. Walking, wheeling. Wheeling, whatever. Yeah. Yep. Scootering. Yeah. Scootering. Yep. Absolutely. Something, something's something's mm-hmm. gonna happen. So, something's gonna break at some point.
0: I hope so. I hope so. Well. All right. Well, anything else to say about that? There's no. hope. You there get frugal
2: hope. McDougal to to sponsor a <laughs> like fair. a like get some big party buses. Like, well,
0: hey. Yeah. There you go.
2: So not yeah, only go there in style so that way you got a designated driver and we can get all our butts there.
0: Yeah. I and love you,
2: it. So you can, yeah, it'll be like the, you know, the, the disability party bus.
0: Yeah. I like it.
2: Yeah.
1: I wonder if yeah, we could I mean, do actually, a coast to coast be, disability party bus. <laughs> we could just like <laughs> rent a bus here in the West coast and fill the bus, fill three or four buses. Yeah. Need to charter some buses.
2: Well yeah. stocked buses.
0: Convoy. excessive bus. That's
2: Excessi how you bus. get that's how you get people.
0: Yeah. The party bus. <laughs> uh all right. Enough of this. Uh hey Liz.
2: Uh hey, Rob.
0: Where can people find us?
2: Uh people can find us online at atbanter.com.
0: They can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at uh, atbanter.com. Hey, you know what? I didn't even think of people using AI to sift through resumes. That's really scary. Oh, well, that's been happening
1: for years. Really? I'm sure. I'm sure there's places that have just been using AI and, to scan resumes. You can't tell me there's HR people looking at each individual resume. Uh, you're
0: probably right. I'm going to have to change my stance on AI now. Mm. Yeah. Is evil.
1: You know, if you don't check the boxes, you're not going to get your second
0: interview, right? Or maybe even a first. I still say I'd vote for him. I would, I would, well, sorry, him. I used him again. Yeah. I would vote for them. <laughs> I'd vote for them. We should try. We, and we can,
1: we can talk about this offline, but we, we should try having a show where we talk to chat GPT.
0: Okay. I'm down. Yeah. Why not? Just ask good questions. Yeah. We see what through responses G- we get back. It. I mean, yeah. Cause you could just run through JAWS and it would be like, it's yeah. Like, uh, I, I feel like they would be English, but then we have to pick male or female voice. And then how are we going to do that? Do we? Well, I don't know. We have to pick, it needs a voice. Maybe we can, maybe there's like an androgynous type voice where it's kind of like in the middle.
2: Oh, is it like, is it like Siri where you could pick like accents and you could pick- uh... With
0: Jaws, yeah, right? Can't you do that, Ryan? With
1: Jaws, you have, no, you just have the, the, well, you have the dialect. So yeah, there's like an English Indian, there's an English Irish, an English Scottish, British English-
2: you, and you can't, you can't pick like British boy band where it's like turn left.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> those are the best. <laughs> I think acapella is a, is a speech synthesis company. I think they've got some of those types of voices. Oh yeah. But. Okay. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll,
0: we'll look into that. We'll yeah, have to. We'll conversation with Chat GPT. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm down. Could be interesting. Hmm. First question. How do you intend to take over the world? <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to tell us.
1: <laughs>
0: What's on the other side? Because it, they haven't programmed lying into it yet. So it's it, it would be very Oh, I'm
1: sure people are working
0: on it. Yeah, probably. Uh where were we? They uh, can also find
1: us on Facebook and Twitter. And yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh man. What a day. I guess then that is going to about do it for us for this week. Uh, of course, big thanks to Trish for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive
3: Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at
0: www.canasstech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com or call us toll-free at
3: 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.